Welcome to the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers. As a double board certified family and obesity medicine physician with over 12 years of experience in medicine, I teach motivated individuals how to achieve their desired quality of life while preventing and reversing chronic diseases. It's tea time. On today's episode of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast, I have a special guest, Dr. Anissa Shomo. Dr. Shomo is a board-certified family medicine physician and geriatric specialist who practices medicine in Cincinnati, Ohio. She serves as the president of the Cincinnati Medical Association. She is a member of various health advocacy groups in Cincinnati. Dr. Shomo is a graduate of Shaw High School in East Cleveland. She earned her Bachelor of Arts in Spanish and Doctorate of Medicine degrees from The Ohio State University. She completed her family medicine residency and geriatrics fellowship training at the University of Cincinnati in the Christ Hospital, along with yours truly. And (laughs) she owns two health and wellness businesses. Dr. Shomo Knows LLC and Health is Love LLC. Welcome, Dr. Shomo, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I got I got my tea. I didn't know if that was a fire, but I love tea. So <laughs> hey, it's tea time. So, <laughs> so go for it. Like, I know. Don't threaten me. I have my warm drink too, but now <laughs> I just got my big oversized cup of water today. So <laughs> all right. So we'll start. I'm going to have you just share your story uh, with us because you you have quite a wonderful story and I want my audience to hear it. So I know you are a cervical cancer survivor. So just tell us how are you diagnosed with cervical cancer and what was your treatment like and anything you just care to share about your story? Yeah. So, you know, as family doctors, one of the biggest things that we talk to people about is going to the doctor even when you feel well. So I actually went for a routine smear and I don't know if my doctor didn't see like saw something that looked a little bit different and she didn't necessarily tell me but my pap my pap was the, the way that the pap guidelines are now they do two different tests so one test was fine the cytology the pap smear was fine but I tested positive for HPV which is very common so the protocol now is to go to CGYN and have a microscope look at your cervix called a colposcopy so when I went and got my colposcopy my, the OBGYN said, you know, well, I see that area of concern, which like I said, my doctor never really told me <laughs> the area of concern. So, you know, they did a biopsy. And then the craziest part of my story is that I was actually diagnosed with a rare form of cervical cancer called adenocarcinoma. So, which, so there's two different glands in the cervix. There's one that's kind of more borderline, the uterine glands, and there's one that's more the outside cervix called squamous cells. So most cervical cancers are squamous cell. Like 90% of them are in the squamous cell, but I was in that 10% of people with the adenocarcinoma, which carries, uh, you know, worse prognosis. So my OBGYN doctor personally called me to say, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, you were diagnosed with adenocarcinoma and we need to move fast. Um, so she called me personally. She said the radio, the um, pathologist had called her personally. And so I was able to get in to see the, um, they sent me to another um, gynecology specialist called gynecology oncology. Um, so somebody who specializes in oncology of the you know GYN system. So I was able to get in with the GYN oncology surgeon in I think about two weeks. And so I was able to get my surgery scheduled pretty quickly. I think maybe the next week after seeing him. So 
I think the biggest thing for me, you know, when we talk about um, as family doctors, we learn, you know, you know, we dabble in a little bit of psychiatry. So we know a few things. And so for me, the biggest thing was, you know, all that's kind of just like what happened, right? But I didn't really talk about my different emotions in that time. So when she called me, I was actually at work. And so I remember being like, oh, that's not good. And just trying to get through the day and trying to like, you know, finish my work. And then uh, we're very good as, as doctors, we're very good at compartmentalizing things because that's kind of like a survival skill that we have to have. So I kind of tucked it away for a moment. Um, and then when I came back to it, I went into what we call intellectualization. So that's a coping skill or defense mechanism of just being like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? So I looked up and learned more about, you know, what does adenocarcinoma of the cervix mean? Because as a family doctor, I don't see that a whole lot, you know? Even the OBGYN doesn't see it a whole lot because she personally called me because it's something that's not very common. So I, you know, I wanted to see like, what am I up against? So that is something that helped me as a person who likes to just know like, what's the worst case scenario and give it to me straight kind of person. So I saw that the prognosis was kind of about 50-50 for adenocarcinoma, which is much worse than a squamous cell. And like the five-year survival rate is 50% which is pretty, which is, you know, better than some. It wasn't the worst news. It wasn't the best news. But what I learned from that was that I understood why she was like, you need to get in with the gynecology oncology as soon as possible. So I understood what I was up against. And I knew that I, for me, it was going to be important to partner with my doctors and, and try to do what I could do to be part of that 50% that, that is, you know, at the five-year survival rate. And actually this is my, this is my five-year survival hey, year. All right. It's a celebration. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And you know, one of the things that you touched on that, you know, I feel a lot of people probably don't understand about their doctors and about medicine. Like you said, is that compartmentalization, especially as family doctors, you know, we can go in one room where we've just talked to somebody about death or dying and go into the next room and see a a baby, you know, Mm -hmm. and this can all happen within the same hour. And you really do have to have that mindset and, you know, that skill to be able to turn it on and turn it off, you know, going from room to room as well as whatever may be going on with you personally. I can't even just, you know, imagine getting that phone call to say, Hey, this isn't good. And then you've got to go on with your workday because there are patients that are depending on you. And so I can, you know, understand that and relate to that, but I just really hope the audience just lets that sink in for a moment, all that, that your doctor may, may go through. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's been the hardest challenge for me is balancing. As physicians, we're just kind of like, you know, right now, I will say the culture, it's not even physicians. The culture in America is you sacrifice yourself and put everybody above yourself, right? Your job, your family, your spouse, all that sort of thing. It's just kind of a very sacrificial culture. And you, you know, we tend to put ourselves last. I will say, you know, the younger people are better at it. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. Yeah, they are prioritizing are, that self-care. Right. <laughs> yeah. But most people from our generation and those older um, just really have a hard time. So one of the things that was, was you know, I can't remember if I still was seeing patients at the time. Like, I don't remember if I had to go back in. I may have just been doing paperwork. So I don't remember if I had to go back in and see yeah. patients. I do remember going home and telling my husband who was taking a nap um, about it and him. And I was just very calm about it. Like, well, apparently... I have cancer and, you know, I got a 50-50 chance of survival and, you know, I'm going to go meet with the surgeons and it should be fine. 
I may not, I may have to get a hysterectomy because that's, that's the biggest thing. So there's two big things. Number one is being a physician and trying to balance taking care of myself and taking care of my patients, all that sort of thing, your responsibility. So that's been, you know, tough to navigate. And then the other piece is we don't have children. So it was just kind of like, you know, the worst case scenario is you want to be able to have children. And I've been so like, the craziest thing about this whole cancer diagnosis is like, my husband has just been the best. Like we met when we were 18 years old and you don't know how your spouse is going to respond to all this kind of thing. Right. Number one, I have cancer. Number two, I might need a hysterectomy. Uh, probably going to need a hysterectomy, you know, sooner. We don't know when, I don't know if now or later, but probably going to need a hysterectomy to, to be a part of that 50%, you know, that survives to five years. And so we may or may not be able to have kids. And I just has been like, it's been like, so like, I don't know, re renew your faith in humanity kind of thing. Just having a spouse be able to drive me to the, to the hospital, make soup for me. We talked, cause uh, you were on my podcast last week and we talked about, you know, having spouses who are self-sufficient. So right. that is one of the things that was, has been really helpful in, you know, this kind of thing is having a self-sufficient spouse who could actually care again to me when I was down. And then we were talking about different options. Like, should we, you know, we went to fertility specialists and all this sort of thing, trying to figure out just what all our options are. Mm -hmm. And we talked about whether or not we wanted to surrogacy or whether or not we wanted, you know, there was just all types of options. And then we talked about adoption and all these sorts of things. And my husband was just like, I'm just really content with just the two of us living our lives like we are and whether we have kids or not, whatever you decide is, is fine, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't feel pressured by me to have children. Like that's not where I got married. Like, and I remember when we were young, he would always say that he would always say, I don't really know if I want to have kids. If I do have kids probably later in life around 40, cause I feel like you should just kind of live your life. And you know, that was his philosophy, even young. And I just remember, it's funny how We've been together. Right, how things just go, you know, full yeah. circle. Yeah. So I was, yeah. I have like a big family. So in my family, everybody has kids. Well, for the most part, everybody has kids. So I was just like, I don't know who you about to be having kids with in 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> I was just yeah. like, we're, you know, I want to have kids young and all this sort of thing. But when we got married, we got married when we were 29. And so I got diagnosed when I was 33. And so we had, you know, a few years in between there where we could have had children. But around 30, I just was tired. I was just like, 30 is not the same as 20. You're just tired. <laughs> and we're both doc, you know, we're both doctoring. And I was right. like, who about to raise these kids? Like, who about to raise them? You know? <laughs> so I'm you know. 40 and I still ask that question sometimes about husband. Who's raising these kids of ours? <laughs> right. You know, it's it's Aww. just you know, the life of a physician, like I said, because we have such a responsibility to our patients. It's just right. uh, it's just a different just a, it's just different and you know we there's not a lot of generations of lessons that we've learned and things that we can try and all that sort of stuff so we're figuring out a lot of it out our on our own but we're not 40 yet so it's, it's possible we could still adopt kids and that sort of thing but I just appreciated that you know that I my husband even though we met at 18 was one of the best decisions I ever made at a young age yeah and I'm actually gonna marry him again in a few months oh 
That's sweet. That's sweet. I love that. And I love that you shared that with us. Yeah, because it is. I mean, support is is everything when you're going through, especially something like this with cancer. Support is so important. And so that that's that's special, too, that you're able to have that, because even though you're married, you know, you don't always know how that spouse is going to handle that. Just because, you know, you said I do, that doesn't always mean that you're going to have a supportive partner. So, yeah, that's that's wonderful. If you're frustrated with your weight, taking more medications than you like to, have been told that you are at risk for the development of a chronic preventable disease, or just are not feeling in the best of health, then I'm talking to you. Why? Because you're tired of fat dieting, you know it's time for a change, and you want a sustainable plan to improve your health. If you have found yourself at this place in life, well, I have developed a program that's just for you. It's called The Essence of Health, and it's your prescription for transformation. My goal with this program is to give you the tools needed to create sustainable lifestyle changes within a group coaching setting, along with one-to-one individualized coaching to give you a personalized path to health that's just for you. The benefits are priceless, so join today. Head on over to eohcoaching.com to learn more. The essence of health is in you. Now, prior to your diagnosis, now that you've been diagnosed and you've gone through this, what are some things that you wish you had known prior to your cervical cancer diagnosis? I guess the biggest things I wish, um, you know, what I would want people to know, I guess, because as a physician and a family doctor, we kind of, we kind of do a lot of this already. Mm-hmm. So what I like for people to know are number one, that HPV is a cause of cervical cancer, which like I said, was the reason why I was sent to the specialist because I was positive for that. And it's very common. A lot of people be like, is it an STD? What is it? But it's just like, it's just like a lot of like chicken pox virus, like how everybody gets chicken pox virus and it's in, in most people's system. It's a similar virus, but it's just very common. And instead of causing chicken pox, it just so happens to cause cancer. And so I don't know if part of my, you know, part of the reason why I've been doing okay with it, because I've, I had to have, a, I've had an initial surgery and I had to be monitored pretty um, aggressively. Like I was having to get pap smears like every three months mm-hmm. and they gave me the option. You were like, you can have a hysterectomy now and save yourself like <laughs> all these years of pap smears and, you know, just, you know, just a lot of monitoring. You can do that now, or you can just kind of give it some more time. And I kind of opted for the second part to give it more time to just really come to terms with that. You know, that's a very Mm -hmm. final thing to have a hysterectomy. So I went on a journey and just learned, you know, more about what it is like to go through the surveillance process and all of that sort of thing. And so I never had a recurrence after my initial cone biopsy, but I actually was vaccinated against HPV as soon as it came out. So it came out when I was in my last year of medical school and when I, like around 2005 yeah. and I had, I had some issues with HPV, like, like around like 18 or 19 when I was in uh, college. So when they, when they were like, well, we got this HPV vaccine. I was like, oh, I want that. <laughs> yeah. And I actually had to pay. It was like, at that time it wasn't covered by insurance completely. It was right. like $150 and you, I had to pay like $75 and it's three doses and I paid $75. You know, I was like, I want that. So I don't, I assume that, you know, it, it, it's possible that it helped, it helped it not be as invasive, right. it helped it um, help me not have recurrence because I actually was vaccinated. So I think the biggest mm-hmm. thing that 
a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people have heard about the HPV vaccine, but they don't really know, like, I don't have a uterus because of HPV. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a real point because part of us as family doctors, we see children too. And a lot of times having that discussion with parents as to why it's important to get their child the HPV vaccine. And a lot of times parents don't understand that getting this vaccine now could possibly help them 20 years down the road. You do have to be able to have that foresight to vaccinate and to to get that HPV vaccine. And the other part of what we know is that it doesn't work quite as well as if you were to get it beforehand, earlier in life, before you were exposed to HPV versus getting it after you were exposed. And that can play a major part and make a difference too. Yeah. So that's what, that's like I said, that's what I knew, but I, that's what I wish more people knew is, um, yeah. and cause there's all types of other cancers that can cause as well. And right. people can be very skeptical about things, but it's, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's been around for, it's been around yeah. for 20 years now, you know, <laughs> it has been, I can even say I've been practicing now uh, for about 13 years. And I can say even just within the time frame that I've been practicing, I've seen us go from a time where almost everybody had HPV on their pap smear to where you're not quite seeing it as much because of the vaccination. And we're definitely not having to do as many of the invasive type of procedures that we were doing, even in training that time before the vaccine has become more readily available. So it is making a difference in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so being a cancer survivor, and you have some beautiful pictures that you recently took about your survivorship. And so what has being a cancer survivor just taught you about life in general, would you say? It's really made me prioritize myself more. Like I said, as physicians, we, you know, struggle with boundaries. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) It's really taught me better boundaries as far as, you know, just better work-life balance of, um, a lot of that work will be here the next day, just trying to enjoy life. So just trying to balance work, but also just taking, I'll take a lot more. Uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm more intentional. I feel like before I was diagnosed, I, st- I, went, I was doing a lot of like run trips and just hanging out with people all the time. But after that, I really started spending a lot more time with my husband, just the two of us, uh, making sure that I invest a lot of time there because when everything came down to it, he was the person who was there. It was uh, just kind of a refocus because before that, he actually was in residency longer than me. And so I didn't see him a whole lot. So I think that was why I was a little bit surprised. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, you're actually here and you're present and that sort of thing. Because it was just, it was just different. It's different when you're uh, married to somebody in training. And so just trying to keep that, you know, connection to uh, making sure that we keep that strong. And then, I don't know, I feel like, you know, I, I definitely have my moments when it, it is more like, you you know, like YOLO times. Like, I try not to be, like, too much over there because I am somewhat of a safe, anxious person, you know? Yeah. But I try to, like, you know, go out and live a little bit more, live a little harder than I probably would and just be a little bit more unapologetic about it as yeah. well. Like, this is me. This is who I am. I'm not going to hold my tongue as much. I think part of that is getting older too. Like once you get over 35, I feel like a lot of times you don't hold your tongue anyway. But 
was just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and speak and I'm gonna write books. And so I, I wrote my book after my first book after that, working on my next book. I'm like, I want to have a book club. I'm gonna do that. So I think it's just maybe just more like experimental to like, you only live once. If I want to have a book club, I'm gonna do it. If I want to write a book, I'm gonna do it, you know, and just not really have as much uh, fear about like, what if nobody buys it? And what if nobody comes? Right. And what if nobody reads it? So it definitely helped me just put that in perspective of do it anyway. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and so that's a, yeah. Audience take a note, do it anyway. Um, whatever that thing is that you've, you've been thinking about uh, and that's on your heart, do it, go for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, what message would you like to share with other women who may be at risk for cervical cancer or who may have been affected by cervical cancer? Yeah. So the biggest thing that I see just, uh, so, you know, like I said, people don't always prioritize their health. So it's important to just make sure you go for annual checkups every year, because I actually have a family culture where we go for, for health checks every year. And so that culture saved my life because I was just used to going to see a doctor every year. And then one year was abnormal. And then, you know, I found, I caught it early. Um, pretty much at stage zero and was able to kind of nip it in the bud really early. So my biggest thing was just be making sure that people get their annual checkups. And the, the, the thing that I know as a family doctor is that people love checking things off their to-do list. Like, oh, I wouldn't have my checkup, have my pap smear, but the follow-through, you have to make sure that you do the follow-through too. So you have to make sure you check and make sure it's normal. Um, just in case they couldn't get a hold of you and that sort of thing. So make sure you know the results of, you know, your mammograms, your pap smears, any, any kind of testing that you have for routine screening. And the other piece, because um, I sometimes write like about health disparities. And one of the things that they talk about is how there can be a delay in care. So I went literally when I saw the surgeon within two weeks, I had, I handled everything within a month. And some of that I know that is somewhat a privilege of being a physician who has health insurance and has enough money to take off, you know, has like sick time, all that sort of things. I I know that piece, there's a lot of privilege and it was not as hard, but I know that there's a lot of people who don't have all those privileges, but you still got to do it because I feel like a lot of people will talk themselves out of things like, oh, well, they gave me these bad results, but, uh, you know, like grief is a grief is hard, you know, a lot of time, but I just always encourage people not to stay in that denial place because what happens to a lot of people is they're just in denial. They're like, oh, they told me this and I can't believe that I'm gonna go and get five opinions. And it's just like, you can get a second opinion, but if the second opinion is the same, then I would just listen to that advice. Don't just keep going around trying to find people who tell you what you want to yeah. hear, you know? Yeah. And so it can be hard for people to really get to that place of reality but you know just understanding that people are there trying to save your life and you can keep trying to find people who are going to tell you whatever but if there's two people you got two opinions and they're both of them are like in order for your life to continue like you know some some semblance of survivorship you know this is what we have to do so I think that just trying to figure out how to move from that place of denial to a place of it's going to be okay and we'll work through it. And life, life, I say is one crazy adventure and you just never know what's going to happen, but you try to figure out how to be flexible 
and you know like a roller coaster like yeah, yeah. <laughs> how to how to survive and not fall off the ride you fall off the ride you know you just you hope that you make it and get back up but it's just one of those things I think that people often are just like no this cannot be this can't be the news and I just have found that so many times would not be a helpful place to stay in Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. And now I know you are a runner and are gearing up for a big race soon, but how has running, I know running can be a form of therapy for a lot of us, even for myself. Was that a part, would you say of your therapy or if not, were there any other alternative things that you did as a part of your, your healing? Right. So that's what I write about. That's what really what my business has been for me because I actually got diagnosed at the same time when I started my business. So it's been a way for me to cope with this journey. And early on, like when I started Dr. Shumwindows, I would talk a lot about what I was going through. And it was kind of like a little bit of a journal, like a video journal kind of thing, because I was really just trying to like lean into vulnerability. Um, so I um, coped in that way early on, but then the pandemic happened and I was just like, all right, I don't want to talk about nothing, no health no more. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> we had enough. <laughs> So then, you know, during the pandemic, I was coping, like, you know, uh, I was doing, with Dr. Shaman knows I was doing yoga on Sundays. That was when I was finishing up writing my book. So, but yeah, so running has been, exercise has been like a main way for me to cope, but I've actually been kind of leaning more into like restful coping, like writing, listening to books, taking baths, sleep, you know? Yeah. And uh, meditation, I've been, you know, learning more about, um, so like, I would say the hardest year that I had in my cancer journey, uh, it was, it was like a year when I was going to auto fertility specialist trying to figure out, you know, should I have my hysterectomy? Should I not? Like, what should I do? So I went to like two different fertility doctors. I went, I was going to acupuncture. I went to like 30 different acupuncture treatments, trying to see what was going on, see, see if that could be helpful. And then um, my well, the craziest thing happened with one of my friends dying. One of my friends, like I'm literally like trying to figure out what's going on in my life. And one of my friends just dropped it. Mm. And, and around the same time, my father-in-law was diagnosed with lung cancer. And it was just a really, you know, I call it the pile on. It was like a year of just things being piled on. And I was just kind of in that stuck place. I call it like uh, I have a family history of substance abuse and I was drinking and I was doing a lot of binge drinking on the weekends, I say, and I did it for about a month because I know that you're not like as family doctors we talk to people about binge drinking, but right. I just wanted to feel numb, you know, I wanted to feel numb in that time. So I remember just being like, all right, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. I know it's not a good way to cope. Um, destructive coping, I'll call it, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, I got to figure out some more constructive ways to cope. And so I actually, I was planning to go to therapy and then like, I got an email from somebody in our department that they were going to teach a meditation course and they wanted to, they wanted like some guinea pigs. Basically they offered the course to us for free and ended up being like a support group because it was a bunch of healthcare professionals and we were all just talking about how frustrated and burned out we all were uh, with medicine. And it was before the pandemic. <laughs> so we were talking about how we were just, you know, how it's just hard. A lot of this stuff just doesn't function like it's supposed to. Right. Uh, it, and we were just, and we all had stuff going on in our lives too. So, you know, I was dealing with what I was dealing with and a lot of other people were dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff. 
And so it actually really ended up being really therapeutic for me. So I tell people now, I tell people often to consider going to grief support groups because it could just be helpful to um, just learn from other people, like how they're getting through it because it's hard. Grief is very hard. And then the pandemic happened after that. And I was, I actually did pretty well with the pandemic because it was kind of like I had boosted my coping skills and was able to cope pretty well with, with the pandemic and like I said, I just wrote books, did some yoga, I quit my job, you know? <laughs> just, you, know? You, you, you really got free. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I am, um, you know, I've been trying to lean more into the, into the restful coping, so. Yeah. And that's so important too. Sometimes we do, we live this life of overwhelm, of burnout because we're going, going, going. And even with you touching on the fact of, of going to all of these places to figure out your fertility and all of these other things, but then sometimes just, just sitting still and sitting in peace with that, taking a nap, journaling, reading a book, doing a, a quiet meditation time can even clear your mind and recenter those thoughts and, and be a healing process of its own. So yeah, I definitely definitely agree and excited that you found that as healing for you too yeah so I like to have some balance I still run I've been doing uh, boxing lately so I've been enjoying that because it's not I mean it, for me it just depends on the mood you know if I'm in right. a uh, I mean I'm training for a race so I just have a schedule now but it's nice I feel like um, my job is frustrating being a physician is a frustrating job you know I'm like it feels like being a mom like all day long, your yep. kids are all day like, I need this and I need yep. that and I need this. <laughs> yep. You, you do. You you are, are needed. It's one of those things. You really are. You're, you're needed all yeah. day until, you know, you, you want to get home and it's like, just somebody don't need me for now. <laughs> this time so I, like, I like running just, and for me, it's like, it wouldn't be as bad if we have more help. So the yeah. frustration of like basically trying to change medicine as we're in doing medicine of being right. like, you know, we'll, we'll make this like, you know, it's like being a mom with nobody's helping you. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, we'll be, make this mm-hmm. more sustainable is if I had some help. So for me, well, running helps like with those frustrating feelings and the boxing mm-hmm. helps with those frustrated feelings. And then, you know, like if I, I have, so like now I'm leaning more into like, if I feel sad, I watch a lot of like comedy on Netflix or I have, we have like HBO Max and Amazon. So I watch a lot of different streaming to do comedy shows. So if I'm like in a sad mood then I'll like watch some kind of comedy special. So I just have like different ways that I like different music, like different albums I listen to depending on the mood, you know? Right, (laughs) yeah. I've just been like, you know, building up my coping skills the past. Yeah. But what I like about that is, is like you've developed a toolbox, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when, when those moments come, you can pull from your toolbox, whether it be music or taking a bath or going for a run or doing a meditation or what have you, but you've got this toolbox of things that you know that are going to help you to feel better. And I think that's, you know, the important takeaway is that folks, we do, we, we do need these, these skills that we can tap into when needed. Yeah. Yeah. I actually created a course about it. It's called 14 Day Coping Skills. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. All I have right. a calendar. That's right. I took it and because um, I, you know, like I said, I just learned it. I feel like a lot of us just are not really taught a lot of constructive coping. Yeah. And I learned some of it from my family. I feel like I learned more than most people probably did. Um, but there's a lot of stuff I had to learn on my own. And so I took that and put it into a into into a toolkit, you know. So 
Right. That's awesome. Well, good. Well, you you beat me to the punch, but I was going to ask you anyway how my audience could connect with you. So they definitely should go pick up your your 14-day coping skills package. But what else do you, do you have? Um, yeah, so my business that I, I mostly work on now is Health is Love. Like I said, Dr. Shomo became a little camp nose became a little draining and pandemic. So so I kind of like Basically, but I, what I love about Health is Love is that it's more comprehensive of everybody who I am, too. It's not really just me doctoring. It's about me doing meditation and me running and all these sort of things that I do. So, you know, you can find me on Instagram at healthislove.co. My website is healthislove.co. I'm on Facebook. So those are the main places where I am. And yeah, not, so I'll have my book, Health is Love. And that book is actually a, like a guided um, meditation journaling um, book to just kind of help people figure out where to where to work on their health, like how to work on it and where they uh, want to focus, how to take the next step and, you know, find, working on some piece of their health. And um, so, yeah, so my, I have my book, I have my course and I do events in Cincinnati if people live in Cincinnati. And I'm hoping to, you know, maybe go to more cities as well. So, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we can have you in Chattanooga. <laughs> yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shomo, for coming on the podcast and sharing with us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today on the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss a moment of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Check out the show notes to obtain your free tips for healthy living guide to get you started on your health and wellness path. Follow me on social media at Essence of Health Wellness Clinic on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at dr.tw at eohwc on TikTok. Interested in becoming a member of the Essence of Health Coaching Program? Well, head on over to www.eohcoaching.com. The Essence of Health is in you.